So God's word is uh, before us this morning. Uh, we're going to be finishing up on this short series um, called "Where Is Your Worship?" Uh, and in that series, we're look. We've looked at self. Uh, we've looked at um, Jesus as our Savior, obviously. But this morning, we're going to be looking at one that uh, may make you a little bit uncomfortable, and that's okay. I'm all right with uncomfortable because sometimes that's what sticks in our heads and, and God can, can use that to work in, in our hearts this morning. Uh, so the, the series is called Where's Your Worship? Uh, self, Stuff, or Savior? And uh, in it we have defined worship as, as declaring the greatness of someone or something else. Declaring the greatness of someone or something else. So I want to just paint a little picture for you this morning. You've probably seen it maybe in a lot of movies or television shows or whatever. But people are gathering together around a meal at Christmas time. And um, somebody brings someone who nobody else knows or even wants to be there. You've seen that situation where it's a little bit awkward. Maybe it's, uh, you know, dad's new girlfriend after a painful divorce, or maybe it's mom's new boyfriend. There's, there's this awkwardness to it where people aren't quite sure they, they want this person around their, their holiday table, right? Well, if we think about worship, especially at this time of year, we really focus in on Christ and the gift that he is to us. And if worship is declaring the greatness of someone that being Christ, that means that no one is as great as him. No one is, no one is on that even keel with him, or no one is greater than him. That's what we're saying, that he is ultimately the best, the greatest, the highest, the most awesome of all things and all people. So let's, let's think about this um, as people. When, when you really love somebody, you try to express that love. And at this time of year, there'll be, there'll be gifts exchanged because we're expressing that love. And God did that by giving his son to us. As we give back to God, he's honored. He, he realizes that, that we could never outgive him. We could never, we could never repay him for what Christ has done, but we want to honor him with our worships. And so we give back to him our, our songs of praise. We give back to him our, our, our tithes, our offerings. We give to him what we can of our time and our talents and our treasure so that he knows that we know how good he has been to us. So this morning, I want to remind you that it's biblical worship that we're talking about. And the definition for biblical worship is that it's an expression of giving up your own glory to make sure that everyone knows that Jesus is awesome and amazing. Giving up your own glory. Because as we looked at last week when we talked about the worship of self or self-worship, that's all about me, right? It's all about how you're seeing me and how I'm, how I'm interacting with the universe as the center of the universe. And so we looked at that last week. We saw what happens when you worship yourself. But this week, we're going to hit an even more uncomfortable topic. It tends to be the least favorite subject of sermons. We're going to talk about stuff, the worship of stuff, or a, a more technical term would be materialism. Materialism is defined as a preoccupation with, a, with or an emphasis on material things. 
or the, the comforts that those things can give us. But it's not just a preoccupation with those things. It's a disinterest then in spiritual things. Because we're so enthralled with stuff, because we want more stuff, because we love our stuff, we become less and less available to worship God or to invest in him, our time, our, our talents, our treasure. We, we have less of that because we're spending so much of our time and our talents on the things of this world. This is an, an, an awkward thing to preach at Christmas time, right? We just spent a, a boatload of money, and there might be some more to be spent this week, buying stuff for people. I'm not saying that's wrong. All I'm saying is, if the worship of that stuff, if your preoccupation with that stuff is more than your preoccupation with Christ, with the love of God, which he gave to you through Jesus Christ, then something's wrong. And so we're going to examine that this morning because we don't want to show up at Christmas at the table with God and we don't want it to be awkward because we brought something that's not really welcome there, something that we're valuing more than him. And so I want us to, to sort of grab into that and, and understand that, that uh, this, this is something that's very deep in us. We, we, we hold on to it and we're going to see scripture, what, what, what Jesus says about that. But I want to tell you a little story first. It's a true story. And it was in 2017 when Burger King, yes, Burger King, opened up its first restaurant in Belgium, in Europe, in 2017. I don't know what took them so long to get to Belgium, but they finally got there, right? And they did this by launching an online publicity campaign, a campaign that asked, who is the king Right? I don't know if you can read it. It's on the top banner, the white little half circle up there. It says, who is the king? And then they put two kings on their, on their, on their advertisement, right? The first advertisement, the first one is King Philip, the actual king of Belgium. They, made, they put a little sort of caricature of him. And then they put the burger. So who is the king? King Philip of Belgium or the burger? Now, we're not European, but that was insulting, I guess, to some of them, especially to the royal family. Um, They didn't like this campaign too much. And they actually said, King Philip was quoted as saying, uh, there's two kings, but only one crown. Who's going to reign? It's going to be me, right? The royal family didn't like this campaign. As you can imagine, they were not happy with this This. American company, Burger King, coming in and, and, and making a mess of their monarchy. And the family said in, in, in a newspaper article, since it is for commercial purposes, we would not have given our authorization at all. However, the royal family does agree that Burger King is right in at least one point. There can only be one king in Belgium. Now, they considered that one king to be King Philip. We consider our one king to be King Jesus, right? There can only be one king. So when we talk about the king of self or worship of self or the king of stuff, the message for us and the message biblically, which we'll see this morning, is there's only one king and there can only be one king. So let us look at the words of Jesus 
Jesus makes this point himself in Matthew 6, 24, where he says that you can only have one master. I put this scripture uh, here on the, on the screen because I know that we don't have the Bibles in the pew yet, um, and I want you to be able to follow along. So I'll, I'll read it for us this morning. It's a fairly lengthy passage. Jesus says to the disciples, this is in the Sermon of the Mount, so many people were listening. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, and this is key, this is what he's teaching, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the lamp... lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this is when he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he ends with these words. You cannot serve God and money. So this whole time he's been talking about physical wealth or stuff, material things. So what what materialism does is it replaces God and you begin to have to serve those things Instead of him, your heart is drawn after and desiring and pursuing those things, the money and the stuff of this world. What happens is that we are focused on getting and then protecting what we've got more than we're focused on being loyal and serving our God. That's what Jesus lays out. This is not a popular message, especially in America. America. We're all about the stuff. We like stuff. Our whole economy is based on stuff. So let me, let me answer this question. Let me ask this question. Is there anything really wrong with owning a car, having nice clothes, having a big bank account? Is it wrong to be rich? Well, it's not no and it's not yes. It's maybe. Maybe. Because remember, Jesus was talking about the heart. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, your, 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 your heart is drawn to it, right? So, so the answer is maybe. There's no certain amount of money that makes someone worship stuff. doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. It's what you are focused on in your heart that truly matters. It's your, your focus, your desire. Material prosperity and materialism are actually two different things. You can be materially prosperous and not be materialistic, not worshiping that stuff. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, which we'll also read, it says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
Let's read this line together. It's pretty famous, but sometimes it's misquoted. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Right? So money is not evil. It is the love of it. The love of it above your love for Jesus, your love for God, right? It's putting it in first place and God somewhere down the list. The love of, the desire for, the, 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 the hunger for money and material things is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, here money sounds like the enemy, you know? But it is the love of it. It is the worship of it that we have to watch out for. You see, the key here is that phrase, who want to get rich, who desire to get rich, who focus all of their energy on getting rich. That is where their heart is. It is what their heart is set on. Worshiping stuff takes the place of worshiping Christ. So the checkup here at Christmas time in this awkward conversation we're having is, is getting and protecting our stuff more important than loving and serving our God? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Now, you probably do not consider yourself to be rich, nor do I. But if you make over 35000 a year, somewhere between thirty-five and 50000 you are in the top 2 to 4% of the entire world's population as far as wealth. In reality, the U.S. economy is so exceptional that the poorest 20% of Americans are richer than most of the world's most affluent nations. The poorest of us are richer than those who are in the rest of the world. 71% of the world's population lives on $10 a day. A lot of you spend that at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work, right? So we are wealthy. This is not a condemnation. It's just an acknowledgement of facts. God warns us that in that position, we should not love the things of this world more than we love him. It is the love of money because our stuff draws us away from obedience to God, the love of God, being in awe of God. Because we begin to believe three things about money. Number one, we believe that money and stuff protects us. That if we have enough of it, we'll be safe. We believe that money actually begins to define us. How much you make, the things that you buy with what you make, then are your identity. In other words, your identity comes from those things. And we begin to believe that money actually is life. That, that it enlivens us. It gives us a good life. The problem is, those are contrary to the truth, right? Because we should believe that it is God himself who protects us. It is God himself who defines us, who gives us our identity. And it is God himself who is our life. He gives us life. Every breath that we take comes from him. So listen to Jesus' words in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, watch out. I made those letters big. He didn't. But I imagine him saying, watch out. 
you know, just to get your attention. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Does not consist of those things. This is completely contrary to the advertising industry. I know this is shocking to some of us, but it's the truth. God's word teaches the opposite of what our commercials tell us. Worshiping stuff is madness because stuff cannot do for us what we hope and are promised that it would do. Stuff doesn't make us happy. We have proof even in scripture. King Solomon himself is what we would consider filthy rich. He was rich rich beyond riches, right? And God had given him more wisdom than anyone else. So he was rich and he was wise. So he was able to apply his wisdom to his wealth and it increased even more. He used his wisdom to invest his wealth and it just kept growing. But listen to his words in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Now this is a guy who could prove that out, right? That's not one of us poor guys, right? It's, it's, it's the wealthiest man to exist at this era in history. And he himself says, it's all meaningless, guys. There was a documentary years ago, and I wish I could have searched for it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere in the streaming world. But there was a documentary about the richest people in America, the richest families. And I think they chose four or five to highlight in this documentary. These billionaires were asked if they were rich. That was one of the interviewers' questions. Do you consider yourself rich? And every single one of them said no. And they said, well, then then when would you consider yourself rich? How much do you need to be rich? And they said, just a little bit more. They were never satisfied, just like this verse says. They, they had billions of dollars. They had yachts and mansions and everything that money could buy. And they still didn't feel satisfied because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Possessions don't give you life. They don't give you satisfaction. They may temporarily give you a little bit of pleasure. But eventually, as Jesus says, the moths, the rust, or the thieves, or something takes them away. They're temporary. They're not permanent. Remember, it doesn't last Matthew 6, 19, whether it's moth or rust or thieves or the stock market or the real estate market, it doesn't matter. Your, it, it, your life here consists of Christ and what Christ has promised and given you. And yes, he provides for us. He gives us what we need. The Bible describes riches as uncertain. And I think we need to remember this or we fall prey to the advertising industry. First Timothy 6 says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so 
uncertain. What is wealth? I don't know, that was weak. What, what is wealth according to this verse? So uncertain. So uncertain. I, I, I'm sorry to say this the week of Christmas, but it's so uncertain. You might have it. You might not. It might be there. It might not. It might come. It might go. We don't know. It's uncertain. That's what wealth is. But what is God? God never changes. He is the same. Amen. You are Bible people. I love it. He's the same. He's not uncertain. He's the same. His love for you is the same. His grace towards you is the same. His favor on you is the same. It's not uncertain. Riches, wealth, stuff is uncertain. It comes and it goes. It's here and it's gone again. It's uncertain. So the verse goes on to say, put your hope in God. Yeah, I I didn't stick with that, did I? Very well. All right. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want you to see that. God richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. He's not there to make your life miserable. And I'm not saying that wealth is not joyful in some capacity. It's just not a God to be worshipped. It is not a God to be worshipped. So he goes on to say, command them to do good, those who are wealthy. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. To have a heart like God's heart. To be generous. To be one who cares about others. Willing to share with those who are in need. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. Again, not uncertain. This treasure in heaven is a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That phrase is very important. Take hold of the life that is truly life. You're being sold you know, something that's not quite true. If, if, if being rich is life, If having it all is life, that's not life. The life that we have comes through God. And it's not just for this age, that that phrase I I underlined for, for the coming age, because I want you to realize that whatever you have in this life is just temporary in this age. Whatever material thing you have, in other words, you can't take it with you. Naked you came and naked you shall go, is the phrase, right? You don't take any of it with you. It's for this age only. But there are treasures. There are heavenly treasures. There are things in heaven that are considered treasurable that are for the next age to come as well. The investment is long term. That phrase, a life that is truly life, is really just a life that is worth living. A life that is worth living. He says that the real life is the future life, the coming age life, the one that lasts forever. If you remember our study in Hebrews, which taught us to keep our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith. That was Hebrews 12, too. But do you remember in Hebrews 13, 5, he said, and keep your lives free from the love of money. Again, there's that word love. The love of money. Those who God commended for their faith, the Abraham, the Noah, the the others on that list from Hebrews 11, they lived with their eyes, it said, on a heavenly city or a heavenly reward. Their coming reward. They lived this life as sojourners, as those who were just passing through. They didn't get too attached to anything here in the here and now. But life that is truly worth life or worth living is found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, I love that phrase. It's a great memory verse for any of you who want to do a memory verse this week. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Who's your life? Christ. Those of you who are believers and have accepted what he has done for you and are living in that that relationship, abiding in him, he's your life. It's not found in the abundance of riches. It's found in Christ alone. Jesus himself said in John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life, he says. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. This age versus the age to come. He is our life. Too many people think that having money and things and stuff is what life is all about. They put their trust in those things and then those things fail them. They look to their stuff to provide some sense of security or significance rather than to God who gives ultimate security, ultimate significance through Jesus Christ. When people put their trust in money, it becomes not their support, but their God. It ruthlessly begins to control them. Their every thought, their every impulse, their every action is, is, is controlled by their love for money, their need for more. And the God who wants to control their thoughts and inspire their actions is pushed to the side. Put down the priority list. So this is our question. We want God to search our hearts. I hope you do. I do. I want him to keep searching. As the psalmist said, search my heart, God. See if there's any ungodly thing in there. And if there is, take it out. I don't want it in there. I want to reflect you more and more as I grow in you. So Jesus gives you a choice this morning, just as he gives me a choice. We can trust in and serve him, or we can trust in and serve money, like our culture does. But he made it very clear, you can't trust in and serve both. You cannot serve two masters, because you'll either be loyal to one, following him and giving him your attention and and serving him or despise one. You can't be loyal to both, giving your full attention to both, loving both. He does not give that option. And so as Americans, 
who live in a materialistic society. And as Christ followers, let's remember we worship Christ alone. It's very interesting because on every coin that we use, on every dollar that we spend, let me put this coin up here for you to see. In the little corner there, off to the side, what does it say? In God we trust. Now, why, why is that on our, our money? It's like, it's like God sovereignly knew we needed to keep being reminded, don't trust in this money for your security, for your sense of, of self. Don't trust in this money. Trust in me. Somehow that God, I, I don't know how. Through the political system, if you look at politics, I, I don't know how, but God in his sovereign power implanted this and it's still on there today. It hasn't been ripped from there, right? In God we trust. So when we spend this money, when we give this money, when we take this money for, for, for ourselves, when we save this money, what we need to keep reminding ourselves is in God we trust. In God we trust. Yes, he's given us these resources. He's given us what we need and sometimes much more than what we need as a blessing so that we can continue to be a blessing to others. But we never, ever, ever should put our trust in it. It cannot save us. There is only one Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, given to us by God himself. He is the one. So what will you do with him? I urge you to continue. And if you have started to to fade away or wander away, come back and put your full trust in Christ. Live for him. Live to please him. Trust in him. Jesus is our savior. More than ourselves, we can't save ourselves. And more than all our stuff, no matter how much we have, Jesus has done it all. He has loved us enough that he has given us, through his death and burial and resurrection, new life. New life that's not just for here and now, not just temporary, not uncertain, but a certain future in him. Where treasure is mounting up there for you. I don't know what that all means. I don't know what treasure in heaven looks like versus treasure on earth. I know it's not stuff like this. It's not, it's not something where rust can get to her or moths can chew it up or thieves can come and steal it. It's something very different, something much more valuable. We are meant to worship him because of his gift of life to us. But if we let self-worship or stuff worship control our lives, it will destroy our lives. It will bring all kinds of grief into our lives. Because it does not fulfill the way that the one and only Jesus does. So let's let Jesus control our lives. Let's give him all of our trust. Let him deliver us. Let him fill us with his abundant life. The life that truly satisfies. In the book of Matthew, he continued to say, the key thing is about focus. Focusing on Jesus. You see, if, if, if you look at that verse in Matthew 6, 22, I'll read it to you again. He talks about the eye. 
And I want us to think about this, not in the physical eye, but he's using this to, to try to help us to understand. This is about focus. In that passage, it says that for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The lamp of the body is the eye. And so it seems like, oh, he's on a different topic now. No, no, no. He's still talking about money. He's talking about your focus. So if, if it says, therefore, if your eye is good, then your whole body will be full of light. Now, your eye is good if it stays on Christ. Light will come into your life. The darkness will be dispelled because of Christ. But if you think some thing of this world, some object, some material possession can somehow bring you light, you're fooling yourself. It's unbiblical. It's not true. You can't get light into you through a material thing. It comes from focusing on Jesus. He tells us to focus on him. Because the lamp, the lamp, the thing that brings light into your life is Christ himself. Amen? There's all kinds of other fireworks going on around us to distract us from him. But if you keep your focus on him, if you keep your eyes on him, if you make him your king, if you make him your treasure, your eye will be good and your whole life will be filled with the light of Christ. But it's all about focus. We hear this again and again in scripture. What are you looking at? What are you spending your time focused on? How much of your brain space is taken up with stuff and how much is given over to our Savior? I want us to pause and really let that question sink in because often we're fooling ourselves. We think we can do both. We think we're ambidextrous. I can do both equally well. No, you can't. It's one or the other. You can't do both. And the world would like us to believe that we can do both because it wants to get in our pocketbook too. It wants some of your cash for itself so that they can get richer and buy more yachts with the profit they make off you and me. We end up being slaves to them. We are meant to be servants of the Most High King. That's where satisfaction comes from. We're going to close with like an old hymn. Probably shows my age, but I want you to understand something. This hymn, the the phrase that's in this hymn is what really, really came to me this week as we were talking about the closing worship song. It says, there's room in my heart for you, for Jesus. And I guess that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Have you made room in your heart? Because if your heart's cluttered and filled up with a bunch of stuff, or if your heart is just filled up with yourself, there's not room for Christ. And just as Joseph and Mary couldn't find room in the inn, they finally found some in the stable. I pray that God would find more room in our hearts this Christmas time for Jesus, that he truly would be the one we worship. And we're not fooling ourselves, saying we're worshiping him, but really worshiping stuff or worshiping our own life. He is our life. And let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Sometimes 
it's overwhelming to us. But we are grateful for your spirit who comes and works in our lives and helps us to understand your word, but then also how do we apply your word today? We're so grateful that it's Christmas. We're so grateful that we can focus on Christ, but the whole world is focused on a lot of stuff right now. And stuff is not bad in and of itself, but it can never fill the place in our hearts that is meant for Jesus. The throne of our hearts was built for him alone. So we ask that you would remove us from that throne and you would remove any stuff, money, riches, material things that somehow has crept up on that throne. There is a throne for the king of kings in our hearts. And we want Jesus to reside there so that we may be filled with light, his light, and his joy this Christmas time. We pray this in the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. 